Would you stand if you're able and join me in the call to worship? The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors. Who is the King of Glory? come with confidence in our hearts now as we share the prayer of confession that you'll find printed in your bulletin. Lord, have mercy on us. You sent your Son to save the lost, but we rarely celebrate being found. 
We place too much value on things that are transient and fleeting, and not enough on, on what's eternal and imperishable. We are self-absorbed when we should be Christ-centered, distracted when we should be discerning, calculating when we should be grateful. Send your Holy Spirit once again into our midst, that we might be fully mindful of you and follow where your Son is leading. Hear the good news. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to our great and gracious God. I welcome you to this uh, worship service in the name of Jesus Christ and to Christ's table where we celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper today as part of our celebration of baptism of um, something else that's going on in the world. I don't know if you realize it, but this week marks the 500th birthday of John Calvin, one of the great reformers of the <laughs> Great reformers of the 16th century, part of the reformed tradition, sort of a patron saint of Presbyterians everywhere. And there is some rumor out and about that Calvin might actually be joining us today. And so we'll, we'll have to wait and see how that goes. Just to remind you of a couple of other things that are coming up. You'll see announcements there that are in your bulletin as well. But, uh, and some things to sign up for. Uh, next Sunday is our annual church picnic. It'll be at 1230 at Salt Creek Park. And we welcome you to come. It's kind of a combination picnic and corn boil, lots of games and things as well. Uh, two weeks from today is the annual Run for Hunger that will take place here at 8 in the morning. There will be a kid's fun run, a half-mile fun run right after that, and then worship right after that. But at a special time in two weeks, it will be at 9.30 instead of 9 uh, as you're here today. So you can help out by running in that race, or you can be a volunteer. Hopefully uh, you are... Uh, able to do one of those two things, or recruit your friends to come and run as well. I'd love to, to have you be a part of that. It takes a lot of folks on that day of the race to make it happen. And then coming up in the first week of August is Vacation Bible School, a crocodile dock. It's all about the bayou and the Bible. You're asking yourself, how do those two things fit together? You're going to have to come to Vacation Bible School and find out. We'll let you read the rest of the announcements uh, that are in the bulletin there. But at this time... I would like to ask Daniel Heflin to come forward with his family for the sacrament of baptism. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ one day was speaking with the crowds as he often was and there were a number of children that were gathering around them and if you remember in those days, well, you might not remember since you didn't live then, 
Uh, it was a much different time than it is today. Children in those days were much more like property, um, and, uh, and they were not uh, given a, a lot of attention or interest. And um, the disciples, Jesus' own 12 buddies there, they tried to shoo away a bunch of those children, and he said, don't you do that. Let the little children come unto me, because their faith, their openness to God is what it's all about. And so since that time, the church has been welcoming adults. We've been welcoming infants as well. But we remember that, that God calls us, as Calvin would say in predestination, before we have any idea who God is, God is already working uh, in history to begin to draw us to himself. And today, before Daniel even knows who God is, God is beginning that process of drawing Daniel to himself in the faith, this beginning where he calls and says, Daniel, you belong to me. So mom and dad, and those of, of the family, as you stand here to bring Daniel for baptism, let me ask you these questions. Do you reaffirm your own faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Do you? Do you claim God's covenant promises on your child's behalf? And do you look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for Daniel's salvation as you do for your own? Do you now unreservedly promise, in humble reliance upon God's grace, to set before him an example of the new life in Christ? Do you? And do you promise to pray with and for him and to raise him in the knowledge and the love of God? Do you? Do you, the members of Yorkfield Presbyterian Church, in the name of the whole Church of Christ, undertake with these parents the Christian nurture of this child, so that in due time he may confess faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Do you? We do. Will you endeavor by your example and fellowship to strengthen Daniel's family ties with the household of God? Will you? We will. Let us pray. Gracious God, from generation to generation, you have been calling your children to you. We thank you that you have reached into the life of this little one, even before Daniel knows you, to make him your own. Your faithfulness in keeping your promises throughout the centuries comforts us and gives us great hope. Help us now to nurture Daniel in the faith, both as parents and as a community of believers sharing with him the good news of a God who loves him through the words on our lips, the deeds of our hands, and the examples of our lives. Amen. Amen. Congregation, you may be seated. Pour out your spirit upon us and upon this your water, O God. Through this, the baptism of Jesus' death and resurrection, you set us free from the bondage of sin and death and give us cleansing and rebirth. May all who now pass through these waters be delivered from death into life, from bondage into freedom, 
from sin to righteousness. Bind Daniel with the household of faith. Guard him from all evil. Strengthen him to serve you with joy until the day that you make all things new. Amen. Amen. Daniel Leonard Heflin, child of the covenant, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Daniel, you are a child of God. Welcome to the family of God. Yeah. Let's go visit some of your new family. You've got your sister over here, and you know these guys. And you know all these guys as well. But look, here are your brand new brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of them want to take you home with them right now. <laughs> they have just made some promises on your behalf to be examples of the life of Christ. Some of them will be teaching you in Sunday school. Many of them will be working beside you, helping to bring Christ's light into the world. We have no idea what gifts God has given you, but we know that he's given you some for the building up of the kingdom in this place or wherever he will call you. We are taking our responsibilities seriously to help you grow into those gifts and to use them in Christ's church. So these are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember their faces, all right? We all look a little different, but we're all Christ's children, eh? Okay, we have something else for you, too, right up here. See this candle? It says Daniel Leonard Heflin, and it has today's date on it. And you know what? Today is your baptism day. And we want you, probably your mom and dad for a few years anyway, to relight this candle every July 12th. To remind you of your baptism. To remind you that Christ, who is the light of the world, has called you to to share your light with the world as well. The light that he's given you. Alright? That's the covenant. That's the promise. You are not to hide your light under a bushel, but to let it shine. Okay, Daniel. Mom and Dad, today you brought Daniel as your son. Today you take him home now as your brother in Christ. God bless you. Children of the congregation, would you join me for our morning lesson together? We'll just come right up here. If you have your... While they're doing that, the usher's going to come forward for offering, but if you guys have your offering, you can bring it up here too. All right. Come on down. All right. Let's see. You heard of John Calvin? Probably not, have you? There's a picture of him up there, kind of what he might have looked like. He's 500 years old today. That's getting up there, isn't it? He really only lived to be about 50. But 
This would be his 500th birthday this week. And Calvin was a very wise man. He studied the Bible a lot. He read it very carefully. He, he, um, he, the, the words of the Bible were very, very important to him. And he, and, he, and he used some sort of special words to talk about, as he read the Bible, how God reaches out to us. He used this, this word especially called election. Have you heard that before? You, you've heard about elections? What's an election? Your dad has been in an election before. I betcha. If there's an election, what happens? People vote, don't they? They say, Hayden. Hayden says, I'm going to run for governor of Illinois. And we have to decide to vote for you or against you, right? And if, if, if the majority of us voted for Hayden, you would be governor of Illinois with all of our delightful joys and problems as a state. And you would, we would say, Hayden was elected to be governor. That's one of the ways that we talk about election. And today, actually... We are going to have some, some elders and deacons that the church elected as well that are going to come up here to be ordained. But, but Calvin uses that in a way about talking about God. He says that God elects us. But what could that mean since who's voting with God? There's just God, right? You think that God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they have an election, best two out of three, and you win. Now, God, Calvin says that that election is like choosing. You know, if you ever play baseball or something like that, and you're outside and you're choosing up teams, and I say, well, I'll take you, and I'll take you, and I'll take you and you on my team. Well, election in the church is, is this doctrine, is this understanding that God has said to us, I choose you. I choose you. From before you were born, from the beginning of time, I knew that there was going to be a you, and I choose you to be mine. I choose you to be mine, not just in this life, but forever and always. You belong to me. Today in this baptism, we saw Daniel being baptized, and in that we're reminded also that God is choosing Daniel. And in baptism, we're reminded of that. But God has chosen you as well. How many of you guys are baptized? Through your baptism, long before that, God chose you and says, you belong to me. You will always be mine. In this life and in the life to come, you'll never be alone. You'll never not be on my team. You belong to me. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? That, that before you knew God, God knew you, and he called you, he elected you to be his own. Let's pray to God. Gracious God, thanks for electing us. For not just creating us and letting us go about our own way, but but also for choosing us to be on your side. To always being there for us. Choosing us forever and for always. And all God's people say, Amen. All right.
we come now to read um, a couple of pieces of, of scripture from Ephesians and Romans that tell us about this election of God, but also about another doctrine, predestination, and they hint at uh, yet another one beyond that. Before we read these words of Paul to the church at Ephesus and the church at Rome, let's pray together. Lord, today we try and understand some, some challenging ideas that we find in your word. As we read it, as we meditate upon it, as we try and understand, we ask that you send your Holy Spirit to guide our thoughts, our meditations, our reflection. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, in honor of the Reformation, I think that we'll move the, this pulpit because, you know, in the Reformation, the catchwords were, the bywords were, grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone. So, in the Reformed Church, the Word of God takes center stage. So, listen to the Word of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. And then these words from Romans 8. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, these are challenging words. They're difficult concepts. Those whom he foreknew, God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Predestined? Does that mean that God sort of controls every part of our destiny? Are, are we just puppets? What about free will? Tough concepts. How do we square that? The fact is, frankly, these concepts are just uh, too valuable to get wrong and, frankly, too big for me on my own to, to, to handle. So I've invited a special guest, as I hinted earlier, to be with us today. And I kind of was hoping that he would be here already because he's kind of leaving me up in the lurch. I guess he's running a little late. So um, what are we to do with this? Oh. Well, ladies and gentlemen, sisters and brothers in Christ, I present to you scholar and theologian, pastor of Geneva, Switzerland, shining light of the 16th century Reformation, John Calvin. <laughs> well, my, my. So uh, this is what God's frozen chosen look like in the 21st century. <laughs> what do you have there? 
Well, I have two volumes. Oh, I uh, see you have Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion. Uh, you know, amazing. I don't know if you know that he wrote these two volumes, well, at least the first edition, at the age of 26. Very, very <laughs> impressive. But these aren't my copies, young man. I took them off the bookshelf in your office. Uh, well, well, and I must say, I, I'm quite surprised well, you to be. find them. No, 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 no. You shouldn't be surprised to find your institutes in my office. Any, any Presbyterian pastor with a solid reformed pastor would have copies of the institutes. Surprised to find them so little red oh. is what I was about to well, say. Um, it's been a while since you were a pastor, sir. I, I, um, you know, meetings, session meetings, uh, uh, worship commission meetings, uh, fellowship meetings, yeah. you know, the corn boil, stuff. meetings, 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 start. No time really for life of the mind. <laughs> I'm afraid I don't understand you there. You see, I was a pastor and a teacher and a scholar and, well, uh, Still managed to find time to raise three kids, you know, and play Skittles on Saturday afternoons. <laughs> yeah, but but you you were you were the Wunderkind. You were you were a superstar, the scholar. I'm just an oh. idle flatterer. Yes, I know. So, uh, oh, don't try to butter me up. And no, you may not call me John. I feel you should call me perhaps Professor. Yes, because I wouldn't dare I, call you John, Professor. Well, I have a feeling that, uh, like most students, you have a lot to learn today. <laughs> so let's get started, shall we? Well, very well. We'll get right to it. I've prepared some questions I think that uh, we would all like to have answers for. Well, good. Uh, I knew I was coming, so I prepared some answers. <laughs> very good. Well, let's get right to the heart of it then. The heart of this matter, I just want to ask you about your doctrines of, of election and especially about predestination. That, that this doctrine that from the beginning of time, God destined, predestined some people to go to heaven and some people to go to <laughs> Wait just a moment there, son. Um, you're getting way ahead of yourself. Just slow down. First of all, the doctrine of election is very important, and it, it tries to give answers to some of life's most important questions. Why was I born this particular person with these particular skills? What is my purpose in life? What am I supposed to be and do on this planet? Now, one way to approach these questions, and quite popular in your society of today, I might add, is to say that everything, even our own birth and death, are random, arbitrary, so that our lives are simply biological uh, happenstances, uh, accidents, with no underlying meaning or purpose whatsoever. Rather, the only purpose might be to simply pass along our DNA 
the answer the Bible gives in scriptures. The questions of why am I here and what is my purpose reside deep within the intentionality of God. You see, election teaches us that before we were, God was. Yes, and that he thought of us and that he called us into being and that he knows us each by name and that he's chosen to give us a future and a hope. I like what you're saying there. I, I do, but I still get this sense of the God who's doing the choosing and all that is, is kind of distant, kind of aloof. Oh, no, no, by all means, no. You see, in Scripture, the language of election is one of intimacy. If we are chosen by God, then that means that God has taken special notice of us. Let me use Scripture to illustrate the point. Um, uh, have you a Bible? Give, give me a Bible, if you oh. would. Oh, well, yeah. Um, NRSV, will that do? You have nothing in the original Greek or Hebrew. Uh, well, in my office, I, I could... Oh, well, that. no, that's, that's all right. I'm sure this will be fine. New version? Yes, yes, every once in a while. Well, revised. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Reforming has always been rather important in my world. All right, then. Well, good for you. You know, the, the church reformed, always reforming, as you say. All right, well, here. The language of election, let me show you here in my notes. I decided to... Oh, yes, right. Hosea. <laughs> it's in here towards the back of the Old Testament. <laughs> Minor prophet, but... Ah, yes, all right. Um, uh, Hosea 3, 16, 19 and 20. The intimate language of our election. On that day, says the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my bell, and I will take for you my wife forever. I will take you for my wife in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will take you for my life, in, for my wife, for all my life, because it's in faithfulness, you see. And you shall know the Lord. And you shall know the Lord. Knowing, husband and wife, say no more. Pretty intimate stuff, I should say. Uh, uh, very intimate, uh, uh, Professor. Um, I'm surprised um, in uh, the 16th century you were allowed that, your worship commission allowed you to talk like that. And I'm not sure. Oh, bosh. Don't be such a Puritan. Look, in my theology, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves closely linked. You see, uh, on the one hand, uh, election tells us something very profound about the character of God. 
It tells us that God doesn't merely create us. You, you see, he's, he's determined to be for us. He doesn't just leave us to our own devices, but rather he has a place for each of us in God's very own heart. Character of God. But, on the other hand, election tells us something rather important about the character of ourselves as well. You see, not only are we uh, loved and accepted by our heavenly parent, but also that, well, we've been chosen. We've been chosen to be God's people, and as such, we are to live with God, in relationship to God, all our days. Yes, but, but it seems to me that, that in this calling, you're, you're saying something more in election than just that God knows our name and that we're chosen. Is that all? No, 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 absolutely there is more. Election and predestination tell us that God is at work in our lives to, to, to reconcile us, to redeem us, so that wherever we go, God has gone ahead of us. God is making provision for our salvation in advance. Uh, now this is the place I want to stop you, because this is important. I, I get the feeling that the way you're talking about this, that, that God, by making provision, by going ahead of us, is acting like the great puppeteer. And we, uh, we are just the puppets. Is that not what you're saying? No, let me be very clear about this, Michael. What you are talking about is predeterminism. And that is far different from predestination. Mm -hmm. In predeterminism, there is no free will. Because, you see, if events are predetermined, then all choice has been eliminated. And, and any future plans are in the controls of someone else. But that's not what I'm talking about at all. In predestination, we do not lose our free will. Yes, but what does it say that in predestination that God has given us a, a, a destiny before time, before we were born? What does that mean? Well, it means that we have not been simply created and thrown out into the world and, and left to our own devices. Rather, God accompanies us. But he does so in such a way as to respect our integrity, the integrity of who we are. Well, I'll show you. Um, let's see. Um, Peter. Uh, in the New Testament, um, Peter's first uh, letter. You see, Peter compares our future hope to, uh, to an inheritance awaiting a beloved child. God has set before us a heavenly destiny if we will but live into it. First Peter. Hmm. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through faith, kept in heaven for you, a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So what you're saying is that, that what election does for us is something that we can't do for ourselves. Namely, it, it, God reaches out through us, through election, to us, through election, and saves us. It's really about, election is about our salvation. Precisely, but, but wait, there's more. You see, uh, election offers assurance that no person chosen by God will ultimately perish. Rather, the salvation of the elect is so certain that, that, well, even as I wrote it in here somewhere, in the Institute, say, yes, um, that uh, even uh, the, the assurance of salvation is so certain that even if uh, the whole fabric of the world were to fall apart, the assurance of salvation would rest secure. Hmm. But but so it's all it's all about salvation then. This no. thing election. No. No. Our, our salvation is important, yes, but God never meant it to be an end in itself. You see, when we speak of election, it's not enough to realize that God knows us. And God saves us, yes. But also that God has chosen us. And because he has chosen us, he empowers us each and every day to live lives very different from our own current lives. Very different indeed, so that we can live a life for the sake of the world. If I hear you right, you're saying then that, that our salvation, the effects of our salvation are still kind of, they're ongoing? It's not just this one time, I believe, I'm saved, there's an ongoing? Exactly. God may have chosen us before the foundation of the world, but that doesn't mean that our salvation is yet complete. You see, as the poet Maya Angelou expressed what? What? rather perfectly, really, that... What? You read contemporary American poets? Just needed to stop you there a second. Well, of course I would do that. If it's the truth, my boy, it's God's truth, no matter where it comes from. Yes, so, as you say, the church reformed always reforming. Hmm? Well, so the poet Angelou expresses her amazement at people who would boast of being saved as Christians, who would say that their growth in grace stops with a profession of faith, who are so confident in their status as Christians. She would say, oh, you were a Christian 
already? <laughs> the truth is, if we are chosen, we are being empowered each and every day to become increasingly Christian. Being elected by God does not mean that we are given any special rank or special spiritual status. We're chosen as a call to a special service, to be called to live a life for God and others. And with that comes a great moral purpose. Oh, wait, wait, just, I, I think I was following you there, but I, I think you lost me on that last part. What? All right, let me put it to you this way. In my day, in the medieval church, people felt that only celibate monks were living out a true Christian vocation and that ordinary folk were, well, uh, second-class Christians. But the doctrine of election says that persons in all occupations in life might have an authentic Christian vocation. Uh, here, in the Institutes, when in doubt, <clears throat> here's how I put it. God assigns each person a sentry post in the world. And from this calling will arise the singular consolation that no task can be so sordid and base that it will not shine and be reckoned very precious in God's sight. So you see, no matter what we do, can be done to the glory of God. Hmm. All right. All right. That's all well good, but I have to ask you, what, what about this free will thing? I mean, if, if indeed God predestines us, what, what happens to human freedom? Oh, you Americans. For all of your talk, you really understand so little of what freedom is. You confuse freedom of choice with license to do whatever I want. And that's not freedom. True freedom is freedom to be what we were created to be. See? Human beings are formed in the image of God. And anything that distorts that image is sin. And sin is not freedom, but enslavement. Real freedom is freedom for obedience. Real freedom is our uh, freedom from sin, freedom from enslavement. We are free to live a life of service to God and others. Okay. Now I have to ask you this question. You've, you've done a wonderful job of talking to us about God's yes, how God calls us in election, how God... Um, watches over us and draws us into God's future and predestination. Um, 
But what about God's no? What about this other doctrine of yours, this doctrine of double predestination, where God has said no to some people? In your doctrine, if I understand you correctly, you said some are predestined by God to go to heaven, and some are also predestined by God to go to hell. And you seem to evoke that, I think, if I remember, with that burning of that fellow Servetus at the stake. <laughs> I knew to get around to this sooner or later. <laughs> okay, let me just say, that was perhaps not my finest hour. But it's not like I made up the whole going to hell thing. It follows logically that if some are called to a life of faith, that others would be called to somewhere else. Hmm? Well, Augustine thought of it first. It's his fault, I'm sure. All right, even Jesus Christ had a lot to say about the sheep and the goats, remember? The sheep would go off one way, and the goats would go off to quite another way, to much wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, wait a second. I'm sensing that after 450 more years of reflection, you're starting to doubt your own doctrine of double predestination? Is that what I'm hearing here? Not necessarily. But I must admit, I, I'm rather impressed with the work that Karl Barth did on the subject. Yeah, totally reformed the doctrine. How's that? You mean to Barth. tell me that you haven't read Barth either? <laughs> Um, well, a little. Meetings. Lots, lots of meetings. Yeah. All right, then. I just can't believe you, Fred. Bart does not believe that God would call some and care for some and reject others, but rather that God calls all human beings. God says yes to all human beings through Jesus Christ. He'd probably quote a passage from, oh, one of the Corinthians. Uh, all right. Second Corinthians, then. Yeah. Chapter 5. For the love of Christ urges us on, because we are convinced that one has died for all. You see, yes. And he died for all so that those who might live might live no longer for themselves but for him who died and was raised for them. Or he might quote that very famous passage that folks so love to quote from John, verse 3, uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 16. <laughs> um, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes might not perish but might have eternal life. You see, for God so loved the world and not just you within the world. It is this singular and 
potent yes God says to all human beings, Barth argues, that constitutes the true doctrine of election in the Bible. It's not that God is bound to some and that God is not bound to others, but that God is bound to everyone as we are bound to Christ. God says yes to all human beings by absorbing all the terrible no's of this world into God's very own heart through the suffering of Christ. That's, that's powerful, and, and it's wonderfully Bardian. But I, I, and I see you maybe have made this transition, but I have to ask you, I just don't know how, in the first place, even 500 years ago, that you to believe in a doctrine of double predestination. How could you do that? Don't be so quick to judge, my boy. Take a look around you. Mm-hmm. How many believe in just such a secular form of that very doctrine by the way they treat their fellow human beings in the economic and social world? How many in Elmhurst act as if they can live a well, predestined economically to live a life of affluence and personal ease. And all those who are suffering, say the 24,000 a day who die of malnutrition and starvation, are we to cast a blind eye to them because apparently they've been predestined to receive God's new? You see, what we believe is our theology. And our theology shapes our ethics. And our ethics shapes our lives together. And if we can believe, begin it to believe, that there's a way to separate those on the inside, from those on the outside, and that some are predestined to live in outer darkness. You see, if we can do that, we can justify all manner of ill and, and ill will and uh, things that we would perpetrate upon them. Indeed, this is just what the Puritans did. They justified the massacre of the Indian tribes in the King Philip's War. And this wasn't the first time, you know wasn't the last. Not a one of our happier chapters in history, true. As a no. no, and in its truest form, I meant the doctrine of predestination to point us in a different direction. Election, election tells us that not only do our individual lives make a difference to God? But that because we are chosen, we are blessed to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. I just can't believe you've become a Bardian. I, I really... I, I, you, John Calvin. I'm not a Bardian, far from it. But there is a lesson for all of us here, I believe. And again, it is that the church reformed, always reforming. 
And if you knew me beyond a few catchphrases, you would know that all my life, I've first and foremost been interested in following God. And that that is far more important to me than creating a theological system. Now, it's true that I do have some very strongly held beliefs. But I'd like to think, I'd like to believe that as God is Lord of the conscience, I'm much more open to following God than slavishly adhering to a system of my own creation. So let this be the final lesson. You are God's elect. Your destiny has been arranged. So, whatever you do, find God. Follow God. You are God's chosen people. Act like it. Amen. Well, John, I mean, I mean, Professor, um, I appreciate you coming here today and re giving us a, a reformed understanding of election and predestination and double predestination. And I was hoping if you would would if you would so like to, in a moment we're going to have some folks come up here and be ordained themselves to be leaders. We have elected them here, and we think elected by the Holy Spirit to serve as deacons and elders over the next years. Would you stay for the laying on of hands? I would be honored to. Well, one and, and one more thing. I almost forgot. Um, it is your birthday, and so we have this tradition. I don't know if they had this back in your day. Here we go. Darlene? Happy birthday, dear Calvin. Happy birthday to you. Amen. Thank you so much. A little scary, you know. Get flame anything close to this. Could you do me the honors? Thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll take it over here. I'll have it later. Elders and deacons elect, if you would come forward at this time, we'll have you stand right here and face the congregation. We have folks that are being ordained as elders and deacons in this service and in the one following, and they've come here after being elected by you, nominated by the nominating committee, elected by the congregation to serve over the next years. Uh, they come after a time of training as well uh, to this place. Some of you are coming back to service. Dottie, you're coming to be a deacon for the first time. Joni uh, and Nancy are returning as elders. As you come now, uh, to this time of ordination and installation, uh, we ask you these questions that have been asked of, of elders and deacons for uh, 
and many, many years. Do you trust in Jesus Christ, your Savior, acknowledge him Lord of all and head of the church, and through him believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Do you? Do you accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be by the Holy Spirit the unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ in the church universal and God's word to you? Do you sincerely receive and adopt the essential tenets of the Reformed faith as expressed in the confessions of our church as authentic and reliable expositions of what scripture leads us to believe and do? And will you be instructed and led by those confessions as you lead the people of God. Will you? Will you fulfill your office in obedience to Jesus Christ under the authority of Scripture and be continually guided by our confessions? Will you be governed by our church's polity? Will you abide by its discipline? Will you be a friend among your colleagues in ministry, working with them, subject to the ordering of God's word and spirit? Will you, in your own life, seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, love your neighbors, and work for the reconciliation of the world? You promise to further the peace, unity, and purity of the church. And will you seek to serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love? And then this question for Nancy and for Joni as elders. Will you be a faithful elder, watching over the people, providing for their worship, nurture, and service? Will you share in government and discipline, serving in governing bodies of the church, and in your ministry? Will you try to show the love and the justice of Jesus Christ? Will you? And Dottie, as a deacon, will you be a faithful deacon, teaching charity, urging concern, and directing the people's help in the friendless? and those who are in need, and in your ministry, will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ? Will the congregation please rise? Do we, the members of Yorkfield Presbyterian Church, accept Joni Borshert, Ken Hurdig, Nancy Coble, and Greg Perticara as elders, and Janet Cox, Dottie France, Connor Hughes, Cindy Hurdig, and Steve Manconi as deacons, chosen by God through the voice of this congregation to lead us in the way of Jesus Christ, do we? Do. do we agree to encourage them to respect their decisions and to follow as they guide us, serving Jesus Christ, who alone is head of the church, do we? Do. Please be seated. At this time, we come to the prayer of ordination and installation and the laying on of hands. If you are an elder in this church or any Presbyterian church, if you are a pastor in this church or any other Presbyterian church, if you are invited to come forward at this time for the laying on of hands, and we'll ask the three of you to, to turn around and Donnie, if you're able to, to kneel here for ordination. Let us pray. Loving God, 
you gift your children, men and women throughout time, with gifts of leadership of all kinds, of all abilities. And you have called these today to serve in this place, in your church. We pray that you send your Holy Spirit, that you give them your wisdom and discernment, that you give them energy and that imagination and love that they are to serve with. Guide them in the service that they enter into. Strengthen them to be your servants, to listen for your word in all that they do in these next years ahead of service that they offer here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Welcome to, welcome to the ministry of the church, Dottie. Nancy, welcome back. We encourage you, the members of the church, as these folks are greeting here, if you would greet them afterwards and, and thank them for their willingness to serve and to be a part of, of the leadership of Christ Church here at Yorkville. happy to share with you this morning some joys and some concerns of our gathered faith community. Lucy Pillinger continues uh, to be in her recovery at home and is doing very well following her recent surgery. Her sister has returned home and so now it is time for us, her sisters and brothers in Christ, and her deacons to step up and, and offer her care through meals, attention, and rides. So thank you to all of you who are able to help in the care of Lucy these next few weeks. We celebrate with God's greatest joy the welcoming to our congregation of Daniel Heflin and his dear family. We welcome all of you who have gathered here this day to celebrate the joy of his birth and the marking of God as, as marking of Daniel as one of God's very own. Solvik Pedersen, who was admitted to the hospital two weeks ago, continues in Elmhurst where she's receiving therapy for pain in her leg. Barbara Siligmuller continues to recover from broken ribs. And Kim Levenka is recovering from foot surgery and also an infection that we pray and trust will be healing well and quickly for you, Kim. We remember Gloria Mundell's daughter and son, Carolyn West, and all of their family as they were gathered here on Friday to celebrate her life and to offer prayers for her as as she continues into the next realm. Dylan Realm asked for prayers for his grandmother, and Meg Snyder asked prayers for her father, whose name is Gordon, who will be having triple bypass surgery this week. We also remember Gordon Crombie and his family upon the death of his cousin, Betty Mitchell. Will you pray with me? Magnificent and holy God, you are our God and we are your people. 
You did not merely create us and leave us to our own devices. Rather, you have a special place for each of us in your very heart. We are loved and fully accepted by you, our heavenly parent. We rejoice that you have called us and desire to live in relationship with us all of our days. God, whose love for us is beyond our understanding, send your advocate, send the Holy Spirit to illumine us. We long for answers to questions. What is our purpose? What are we to do next? How might the conflict be resolved? Bless us with your peace and a deep and real sense of your leading so that what we do and how we think and our relationships with others may be a faithful following of your desire for us. God, who is the very artist that painted the heavens and sculpted the mountains, we pray for your entire earth, for every drop of rain, the warmth of the sun on our shoulders, the cool breezes of the evening, and the splendor of the gardens. You give us these gifts not for our soul or selfish use, but for endless generations and all time. Plant in us a deep sense of responsibility to make conscious choices to preserve your creation. Ruler of the universe, we pray for the kings, diplomats, presidents, tribal leaders, secretaries of state, and assemblies of decision makers. May your guiding hand frame decisions. May neighboring nations build partnerships based on respect and may the desire for power be held at bay. Be especially with the people of Iraq as they move closer to self-government. Be present in Afghanistan and Pakistan where war is ramping up. Be in the building of peace between clans of people engaged in hatred and discrimination in China. And give courage and opportunity to Chicago gang members so they may break free of the cycles of violence. We pray for all those seeking new employment, that skills and talents may be matched with need. We pray for those that are overworked, pressured to work more hours and travel more days for the mere privilege of keeping a job. And we pray especially for the recent graduates longing to put into action all they have learned. God of all opportunities, open the doors and show us the way. Compassionate one, we thank you for the healing and wholeness brought to Lucy. We pray for the recovery of Solvig and Kim, of Katie and Barbara. We humbly ask for you to be present with Meg Snyder's father, Gordon. Be ever near Carol and Anita, Lynn, George, John, Gordon, and Kristen. Be with Dylan's grandmother, filling her and her family with your peace as she moves from this realm to the next. And may your spirit be holy comfort to Carol and Wes and to be present with the Mitchell family. And now with strength of conviction, we boldly pray as you taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. One of the ways of understanding who John Calvin was is to remember the context in which he lived. He was a Frenchman who was estranged from France. He was alienated. He could never go back there because he would be imprisoned as a, a member of the Reformation. He longed to return to his home country. So part of his understanding of election and predestination is colored by that as well. This longing to be home. That's part of what coming to the table of Christ is about as well. For we're reminded that finally this is not our home, this place either. That we're all aliens. That we're all away from our true home. But a time is coming when we will all be together. With all that God has called in his great yes to gather around a great banquet, a great table in heaven, to be in that relationship in eternity with our great God, where there is no separation, no loneliness, no goodbye. This is the feast of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not the table of Yorkville Presbyterian Church. It's Christ's table. You are welcome. Today we are going to celebrate this feast by intinction. As you come forward, you'll take a piece of bread off the loaf and you'll dip it in the cup and eat it as you come by. If you're unable to come forward, uh, raise your hand after most everyone has come by and we will come to you. Hear now these words of, of Christ. On that night when he gathered with his disciples at table, he took bread and he gave thanks for it. And before their very eyes, he broke the bread. And he said to them, This is my body, broken for you. Take it and eat it, and remember me. In the same way, he took a cup, and as he poured it for them, he said, This is a new covenant in my blood, shed for the remission of sins. Drink all of you.
And now as you go from this place to serve the Lord, remember that the one who called you through election has predestined you. He has said yes to you from the depths of time. Go and know that the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit are with you now and forever. Amen. Thank you.